Welcome to the Unrails Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach, talking today with Aslak Helisoy about behavior-driven development. Quick note, I'll be in Sydney, Australia, teaching two Rails workshops, November 11th and 12th for beginning Ruby on Rails, and November 18th for advanced Rails. Hope to see you there if you are in Sydney or Australia, New Zealand, anywhere in Southeast Asia. I want to fly down for that workshop. Also, someone wrote in that a German language Rails workshop happening also in November. Go to linuxhotel.de for the details on that. So it's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach in Oslo, Norway. Very exciting. Had a little week of vacation, but now I get to talk here with Aslak Helisoy. Formerly of ThoughtWorks, core member of the RSpec team, and now the CTO of Beck at BEKK.no. So you've only been here a few weeks. Yeah. Moved back to Norway after probably traveling a lot over the world with ThoughtWorks. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I moved back to Oslo uh, about three weeks ago, and after having been uh, somewhat of a nomad uh, all over the United States for a couple of years. And prior to that, I lived one year in London. So I've been three years with ThoughtWorks and, and now back to the company I, I, I worked with prior to ThoughtWorks. Oh, um, okay. Which is uh, called Beck. Norway is such a beautiful country. I've driven around a little bit, went up north, saw the west coast with the ocean and had to take a uh, ferry down into the fjords and see all, the, all that very beautiful. But... Oslo, quite the most expensive city in the world, right? I heard that recently. Uh, I think it must be. I think I think possibly possibly Tokyo is more expensive in some areas, but it is ridiculously expensive. Yeah, uh, it's funny to see to come back here and see the um, the petrol prices. They're almost, okay. almost twice as high as in the states, wow. and we make our own. <laughs> I saw a few people with Humvees or you know huge. Cars, and I thought, wow, you really have to be wealthy to drive a car that gets three miles per gallon here. You have to be a lot of other things as well to drive those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the reason I came here to ask you about our spec. What is our spec? Well, our spec is, as I'm trying to introduce it nowadays, the pronunciation is uh, respect. Respect. Like, uh, like Allergy says. <laughs> but I haven't quite gotten into it, so. <laughs> I'll probably say RSpec and, and Respect. Respect is um, it's a Ruby library to, um, to ease behavior-driven development, or BDD. It's some, somewhat similar to test unit, but with a quite different um, philosophy behind it. And it's not just for Ruby, it's being simultaneously developed for Java and .NET as well, or is that a f- plan for the future? Well. Uh, respect is uh, is an incarnation of the ideas or the philosophy behind uh, BDD, which okay. is a um, sort of a broader has a broader broader goal or, or audience than, than just Ruby. Behavior driven development has uh, implemented, or the, there are libraries out there written in several several different languages that support behavior driven development. So some people have looked at our spec, respect. And said, so, well, it's, it's just syntax. I would, in a test, normally I would say assert equal, uh, you know, some user and Bob. But for our spec, I would say 
some user should be equal to Bob. Right. And so, so some people say, well, that's you're just switching the words around. There's no real difference. Do you do you think that, or is it more significant than just the order that the words show up in? <laughs> it's um, no, it's right that the most the most significant uh, difference that, that a user will will recognize when they start using aspect coming from test unit is is that you you turn the words around and you start saying should instead of test. But uh, so yeah, you could argue that that's all there's to it. Um, but that's a very I wouldn't say narrow-minded way to look at it, but there's there's more to the picture than just the words. If, if we step step back a little bit and think about how people do test-driven development, um, and if you think about a seasoned TDD person who's been doing years of this stuff and, and, and now sort of graduated to be a you know a master TDD person, you usually have to go through a, a very long and sometimes painful learning experience to get to that point. Um, and if you look at the you know, a traditional path from knowing nothing about this and, and becoming a master. That very often you start by you start by writing tests, probably because somebody tells you to, or because you because you have problems, because you have too many bugs in your code. And then you, when you write and test for a while, you you start to get this feeling, you know, this this good feeling. You have more confidence in your own work. Then after that, a lot of people start writing the tests first before they actually write the code. And then, when they've been doing that for a while, they start looking at their tests and realizing, hmm, these tests, they can actually serve another purpose than just being tests. They can, they can also serve as documentation. And when they got to that stage, uh, or those people who get to that stage, a lot of people never get to that stage, you can go even further and realize, make the realization that um, they're not only tests and documentation, but they also serve as uh, a design tool. You use the, the um, writing, writing the test first, Testing something you don't have yet helps you understand uh, or get, get a different understanding, a better understanding of, of the code that you, you're, you're about to write. So it becomes a design tool. And then if you get to that point, you can even get further and, and realizing that it's a tool or it's a technique that you can use. Remember, I'm talking about DDD here, not, not an aspect. It's a technique that you can use to, um, to understand and design uh, the behavior of the system. So in an object-oriented system, you can think of the behavior of a system as... Uh, how the various objects in in the system communicate. Uh-huh. Right. So that was very long. So so your question was um, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> question is is it, is it more than just syntax? Right. 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 Is so it's going to actually change the way people write software. So is it more than just syntax? Well, the problem with with you know getting to this point where you realize that TDD done well is all about design and and uh, and discovering the behavior of your system. Um, it's really hard to get to that point of realization, and, and part of the reason because that's so hard is that it's it's that the vocabulary in TDD is so laden with the word test, yeah. which is very very unintuitive if you're thinking about design. So just because we're using the words test and verification all the time, that in my in my opinion and and the other BDD advocates' opinion that that in itself. Um, makes it really hard for people to get to the point where they realize that it's a design tool. So just changing the words can actually help a lot of people get beyond that. And this is actually based on some, some theory from linguistics. There's a, there's a couple of linguists called um, Sapir and Wirth, and they came up with this theory uh, which basically says that the words we use to talk about something has an influence on how we think about those things. Definitely. 
I was. This may seem like a bunny trail as well, but last week I saw a few blog posts and it had mentioned the Dragon book on compilers by Alfred Aho. I didn't ask you about this beforehand, but I slipped this in here. So I and I haven't read some of those classics of computer science, so I picked up a copy from a friend and on the plane over here was reading the you know some light reading of how compilers work and, and lex and syntax driven mm-hmm. parsers and all this kind of thing and was realizing you know computer programming languages are really just a user interface for the programmer many things like even Ruby mm-hmm. it's parsed down into C and then that that's translated to machine code and so we often think of a user interface as just being well is this button going to be blue or green and mm-hmm. and and how where is it on the on the screen but a programming language is also a user interface and i think that's part of why ruby developers are so excited about ruby and rails developers feel like hey here's a programming language user interface that works well with the way i want to write a, a website mm-hmm. and to me, it seems like RSpec, BDD in general, is kind of the same idea. Is It's more than just the syntax. It's trying to have an interface that changes how people write software, not just gives them a different way to do it. No, definitely. And also how they think about it. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, would, would it be too far-fetched to, to suggest that Ruby and, and, and RSpec and, and you know other libraries that follow Rails things are full of the same idea. Maybe we could say that these are just human interfaces for computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes it easier for the computer to talk to the human. I don't know. <laughs> but it's definitely, definitely along the same lines. Yeah, we, we try to make this be as intuitive and, and uh, try to cut out all that translation that you have to do in your head to express what you want to say. And for a lot of people, it's confusing to look at assert this, assert not that. It's, oh, what, what does this all mean? It's, they aren't necessarily words that people are used to using, but should and should not, and, and the different way that our spec is set up kind of flows with how people are, are used to thinking. Many Rails developers are new to testing of any kind. Mm-hmm. Should they start by learning test unit as a foundation, or if someone who's going to start from scratch... And I know RSpec is still in development or be, being polished. Yeah. But let's say it's a couple months from now. Should they just start with RSpec and learn to practice behavior-driven development that way? Or do you need a foundation of, of understanding how test unit works? Well, if we make the assumption that we've sorted out all, sorted out all the bugs uh, and missing features um, between RSpec and Rails, because there are some... But for the sake of the argument, it, everything is, you know, technically it's working. I think, yes and no. I think, first of all, uh, if you're a newbie to this stuff, there's going to be a lot more literature and both books and websites uh, that talk about test unit and, yeah. and, and classical TDD using asserts. If you're really new to this, it might be a little bit hard to just jump into our spec because you will find a lot less information about it. Okay. But if you're willing to take, if you're willing to sort of Still try it out and dive into it, and, and if you're okay with not having everything laid out for you in terms of documentation, although the documentation on aspect is, 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 is not that bad, um, I think I think it's worth a try. Yeah, I would def- definitely recommend people to do it, especially if you remember what I, what I talked about earlier about how how you get from being a novice 
person who knows nothing about testing a TDD or BDD at all to being somebody that realizes that this is a very powerful design tool, I think that you will much easier get to that point uh, using a BDD tool like RSpec or Respect <laughs> than, than using uh, test unit because we're basically we're trying to take some of these hurdles away from you. Now, in practice, and I'm sure you're using this at least in some projects or if nothing else, at least to, to make sure it's, it's working correctly from that, the programmer's user interface, do you start out writing a whole list of specifications for mm -hmm. all the, maybe you have a specification somewhere else, and so you'll build up a whole list here of, of how the program should work. So that kind of imagining mm -hmm. the, the behavior application, or do you do it in a more incremental of one assertion, well, I don't know, mm -hmm. there's one specification and, and then the implementation test and then, then back and forth in, in more of a test-first fashion. How do you go about um, developing with that? Well, I've been doing, I've been doing Agile development for, for about three, four years now and um, uh, XP Scrum-like development um, where everything is very incremental and, and all the features that go into whatever the team that I work on uh, all the features are, are written in, in small user stories. Okay. Um, so I basically work, and the teams that I work with, we work with user stories, which is, which is typically some chunk of functionality which, which represents something that the user can do with the system. Yep. Um, something that can be implemented in, in, in ideally less than three days. We start with, we have, we have those uh, requirements or user stories written on a little index card and then we break those down into um, we can actually break those down into uh, specs okay um, and I am becoming more and more fond of starting actually at the top at the user level so for example for a web application uh, or a rails application I would actually start by looking at the acceptance criteria of the user story they could say something like when the user searches for XYZ, then there should be three results. Okay. Um, and start, really start at the very high level and express the, the functional requirements, the functional acceptance criteria using uh, uh, a tool like RSpec and then sort of drill down and get to the nitty gritty details afterwards. Okay, so if there's a brainstorming, if there's more of a group, it goes into the user story and then that's a base to start with for. The yeah, specification encoded. I yeah. like that. And um, one thing that um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet uh, in, about BDD is um, another another promise of BDD, which probably isn't as apparent in our spec yet because we haven't really gotten to it. One of the promises of BDD is to bridge the quantum leap between user stories or functional requirements. Um, which is, you know, which is prose written by a customer, and bridge that gap between that and um, and your functional tests or, or specifications, okay. or you know your 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 executable verifying code. Yeah. Um, because whenever you give whenever you give a user requirement, whenever you give a user story to a developer, with you know it's it's, it's all English or. You know, Norwegian or whatever, sure. and you have to translate this into a, a, a functional test. It could be a fit test, or or it could be a, a Selenium or RSpec or whatever it is. But you have to do that translation. So BDD also tries to establish some sort of common language between 
between how you can uh, how you can express uh, acceptance criteria and how you actually write a test. I mean, so spec reduces the gap between those two, makes that step a lot simpler. Yeah, and uh, and that's actually by um, having a very simple template for how you express an acceptance criteria. Okay, which we call GWT. It stands for given when then. Okay. So if 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 you get whoever wants the software to express their acceptance criteria in that form, I'll give you an example in a minute, it becomes a lot easier to take that form and translate it into uh, spec code or even fit tests or whatever you want to use. So an example is, given I am on the search page, when I enter ASLAC and hit search, then ASLAC Hellasorian and his website should come up. The amazing thing is that this is a format that works for across domains. It seems... My experience is a very, very versatile format for expressing requirements, and it's so easy to translate this into code instead of having to hunt around and read between the lines. And so, B two D is a lot about that as well. Is there any plan to involve that kind of language into? Yes. So that's yes, gonna. Yes, yes there is. Um, uh, David Shalimsky has done some great work now um, on the RSpec. I think he's actually on trunk. We're trying to split out the various parts of RSpec because there's a whole verification API which basically allows you to do should this, should that. And then you have the whole structuring part of it, which is basically how you write context to specify and basically how you organize things. So you're splitting those apart so that we can plug in a different, a different mechanism bar or different structure, if you will, for organizing a verification code. Okay. So we're trying to get to something that is more along the lines of given when then, but we, no, we're not there yet. But that's the direction we're going. So... Maybe we'll give it a new name, or uh, maybe it'll be a new sub-project. We'll still support the old one. So, definitely a lot of development still being done. How far out is RSpec from being usable in every or, or most situations? But it's already usable for unit, it's a very specified, uh, specific unit tests, but Rails-specific functional in or integration tests, work is still being done. Um, yeah, we had some we've, we have some great patches from the community um, around Rails support, and um, you can use it. Uh, it's 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 quite decent for uh, for the model stuff. Okay, it's okay for the controller stuff. I don't think I don't think anybody's actually tried to use the integration. You know, do integration testing like uh, work with RSpec. So I can't tell you how far in the future it is because I, I don't know how much people will work on it, but. Let's say that there's um, there's still a fair amount of work to do that, and we're okay. looking for contributions from the, from the community. Given the excitement about extreme XP, agile development, all these you know multiple kinds of test related work is being done for Rails and for Ruby code in general. I was looking at last week of I think Mocha, a different way of mocking or mm-hmm. s- stubbing objects that looked like it had a nice interface and Eric Hodel from the Robot Co-op has put together a gem called Test Rails that separates functional tests into controller tests and then separate view tests. Mm-hmm. Will all of these other kinds of develop of work being done on testing, do you think those will be able to work together with with BDD and with RSpec or are these addressing different kinds of problems that don't really relate to, to BVD? Um, I think there's a fair amount of overlap. 
and this is all Ruby, right? So you can glue everything together in a couple of lines of code. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mocha and, and Stubber, which is, uh, I think they're all in the same same code base, is something that we're, we're, uh, we're looking into. We, uh, our spec has its own um, mocking framework okay. uh, tightly integrated into it, but it looks like Mocha, there, there are some features that we want to add to our own, and it looks like Mocha already has those features. Nice. So, uh, so there's actually a fair chance that we might ditch our own and, and just go for Mocha. Okay. Um, when it comes to um, um, the view and controller side of Rails, I, I really like the idea of being able to separate controller and view um, specs and tests. But I, I think we should be careful about making you know an absolute rule that you should always do that. I think in some cases it makes sense to have them together. In some cases it makes sense to have have integration level verifications and all yeah all this new hpricot and yes uh, and uh what's the other one called um i can't remember that it's something that's sp- scrappy but it's basically a better way to to verify contents in your generated html okay so we have we have to get better support for um for basically the, the controller review stuff there seems to be some momentum around this whole should thing now so you'll actually see that some of the you know people people writing other libraries that are test oriented they actually you know this this whole way of thinking is is gaining momentum so um, integrating them should be should be easier the integration part isn't really a challenge on technical level it's more it's more a challenge on the philosoph- philosophical level i think you can probably today from within an aspect test say a certain tag okay but it would it would break with the whole sort of style of the rest of your specs. Yeah. So it's something that we don't want to encourage encourage people to do because we want to make people think differently. But that means that we have to come up with our own way of saying things. Right. So there's there's still a lot of work to do in that space. Well, another piece of agile development in general is continuous integration, making sure your tests or your specifications are run frequently. And one way to do that is just for the developer to run run the suite before a check-in is made. But another way is to have it running on the test server to where any check-in or even on a specific schedule, tests are run and, and people are notified if they fail. And so that in the Rails trunk, there's the continuous integration tool. And But some people feel maybe that's... The, the CIA one. The CIA, yeah, yeah. yes. And so some people feel, hey, maybe that's overkill. That itself is a whole Rails project, and uh-huh. and just the thing of you know, they run, think run CIA the suite. They, they think CIA is overkill, oh, possibly because yeah. it's built around a whole Rails project. Whereas you you just run the tests, uh-huh. send email on failure. Right. You know, maybe it doesn't need a whole interface into it, but maybe uh-huh. it does. You you had damage control. What do you think is a good solution for? general continuous integration like that or are there good solutions already out there? Well it really depends on you know it really depends on your needs. It depends on it depends on your team, how big how big is your team. Yeah. It depends on how complex is the hardware and, and systems that you have to in- integrate with. So maybe you only need a simple tool if it's a s- smaller team or a smaller project. Yeah, I think but if you yeah. The point of continuous integration is the initial point of continuous integration has somewhat been diluted. Originally, when people started talking about it and writing articles about it, the essence of what it is is, is basically two things. Automatically run builds. Yeah. 
But the second and really, really important point is what do those builds actually do? It's more than just compiling your code if you're running a you know, language like java.net uh, or C++. Um, that's all you're doing with your continuous integration tool. You're not really doing continuous integration, you're doing continuous builds. Okay. So continuous integration is running those builds uh, automatically in a regular fashion, but then deploying your code into a system that is as close as possible to where it's going to run ultimately. And integrating, hence the word continuous integration, integrating with all the other infrastructure that, that you need in order to run your, your whole system. And that, and that could be things like PayPal, or it could be getting a feed from, from, from some, some stock exchange, or maybe getting RSS feeds from somewhere and passing them. You know, it's, that's continuous integration, and people don't realize that, because, pe because people can download cruise control, and it says on the label, continuous integration. So they think they can download that, or, and then you have you know, gazillion clones uh, that call themselves continuous integration tools. And yeah, they allow you to do continuous integration, but you have to do half the work yourself. Yeah. So back to the initial question, is, is something like CIA overkill? If you're working on a piece of software or a system that has many external integration points, no, it's definitely not overkill, because doing this integration is something that you should start doing from day one. I think it's Ken Beck who says, if something is painful, do it more often. <laughs> right? So, uh, and that's something that the continuous integration tool can help you do. So it depends on, it depends on, basically it depends on how complex this is, is the stuff that you need to talk to and the size of your team. If you're, if you're a four-person team and you sit in the same room, it's probably okay to just run this from, from the command line. So it really boils down to, well, you need a really good build script. It's much more important to have a good build script than having something that kicks it off. That makes a lot of sense. And with the other tools available to Ruby developers, it could even be integrated somehow with Capistrano to deploy it to a staging server or the production server. There are multiple ways that, that could be done, so choosing the correct tools is a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. And I would, I would even argue that if you're doing Rails development, if you're not using Capistrano in your, in your build script, then you're not doing continuous integration, even if you're using CIA. You also mentioned another what, bot, uh, or what was the Python? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a really awesome distributed continuous integration system written in Python called BuildBot. Okay. And there's another one called Bitten, which is based on track. And what it basically does is, you know, every, every time every time a developer checks in code, it detects that, and then it tells a number of build slaves that, you know, each of which is running on a different physical box with different different operating systems and, and, you know, you can set them up as you want. So you get a build, you get, you get your software building on different machines. I think this is really valuable, especially if you're writing software that needs to run on different hardware, different operating systems, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, against different databases. I can think of one big Ruby project that, that needs to do that. If they got faster feedback about, you know, there's a bug on Windows, Oracle, you know, they could get that feedback much quicker rather than have to hunt around and manage all those bugs. Because a lot of the time you don't, you don't, you don't even have the physical resources to, to test on all those platforms. Okay. So I think, I, think, I think the Rails team would do themselves a big favor if they went and installed something like BuildBot and had people volunteer for being, uh, for being slaves. 
that would target that, all the different platforms, combinations, yeah. different systems that would run with yeah, oh. and 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 you know, and their and their bug list and and, and track would, would go down because they would get the feedback immediately and yeah, know, they could fix it, and even somehow incorporate hey here's an older application that ran with the previous version yeah if yeah. we want backwards compatibility mm-hmm. then that would be involved in the whole process to make sure that these different applications can run the test suite or whatever exactly and it seems like more and more of course this is developing pretty quickly but people are using different technologies together with rails and of course we have web services but people are using java maybe on the back end for some kind of parsing and especially well Last week, Sun hired a few of the guys on JRuby, so now we're going to see projects awesome. needing to integrate with even external libraries that aren't even written in Ruby at all. I think it's great that the Sun is buying into Ruby. I think that's really good. And pretty shocking, given the fact that early on, Henry Hansen had a lot of digs at Java, and now here Sun is, is getting on board, at least to some extent, and saying, hey, let's, let's make it work together. Yeah. So you've moved back to Norway... What are your plans for the future? What kind of things are you going to be doing here at Beck? Well, I just joined Beck a week ago uh, as a new CTO. I've never been a CTO before, and so I guess the first thing I'll, I'll have to do is to figure out what the hell does a CTO do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Beck is an agile company, and one of the things that I'll be focusing a lot on is, is evangelize ag- uh, agile and extreme programming, scrum-like programming um, in Beck and also in other projects. I hope that I can also start talking about and influencing a little bit around dynamic languages. Beck is primarily a Java and .NET shop, um, but we're interested in you know, learning more about other things. So hopefully I can have a, a hand in there as well. And I'll, I hope, and of course I'll do as much programming as I can. I'm not, I'm not the suit type. <laughs> okay, good to hear. Well, thanks. It's been a nice chat, and I'm looking forward to another week exploring Norway, great country, and fun to see see it in the summertime while the sun's still shining. Thanks, and thanks for having me on the show. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker.